Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Last week I was speaking about the wisdom lessons from the life of Jesus and I was focusing on Matthew 26. I spoke about the different instances where, such as the betrayal that he went through and, um, and also the accusations that he was going through. And I spoke about the whole different things. But today, I'm going to look at the wisdom lessons that we can learn from the very last moments that Jesus had with the disciples. But now we'll kind of look at, look at it through John's gospel. Um, and I'm just going to be concise in my presentation just so that we can just capture God's art. I'm not saying necessarily that Matthew 26 speaks specifically about wisdom. But I'm just saying there is a lot of wisdom lessons that we can learn from observing the way Christ engaged with his disciple before his crucifixion. Especially those very last moments. It's like you are spending the last critical moment of your academic semester this year and you're about to go home. You know, there is a certain way you've got exams. There is a certain attitude that you have to adapt. Now, in this context, Jesus was spending his very, very last time with his disciples. And in that period, there are certain events that happen. And Jesus engaged with those events in a certain way. Now, in John's gospel, one of the things that I want to establish first is that John, a lot of, a lot of writers or theologians agree that John might be the one who wrote his own gospel. And they, some of them believe, agree that he, he wrote that gospel to the Jews and even to the Gentiles, the Greek or Romans, basically the Gentiles as well. That includes you as well. Yeah, even though there was a specific people that intentionally was writing to, um, to just giving this account of Jesus. And in John, in his gospel, one of the things that you'll see is that John presents Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God. You will even see John chapter 1. He speaks of Jesus being the word that was made flesh. Um, and even in John chapter 4, John presents Jesus being to the Samaritan woman as, you know, as the one fulfilling that prophecy from Ezekiel, the temple where out of which the water came, uh, came from, the baptism of the Spirit. And you actually see Jesus speaking about the Father, speaking of worship. We see the first miracle of Jesus as well recorded in John chapter 2 uh, when Jesus was in Canaan and the whole miracles. You see a lot of things. Jesus saying he's the tree and we are the branches and abiding in him. There is a lot of emphasis on the divinity of Christ that we find. And John, speaking of the Greek people, the Greek were very much focused on thinking and ideologies. Ideologies which they believe could have the potential of solving men's issues. It's like today, there is a lot of platforms, there is a lot of organizations, there is a lot of ideologies, there is a lot of books that are, write, that are being written for a purpose of wanting to solve issues of man. The only challenge is that some of those solutions are solutions that are provided without necessarily including God. So some of these people, they believed like this, this toicism group type of people. For, for example, they believed even if you were sick, you had to find kind of your healing in your own self. You didn't necessarily need God. Some people were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. So he was writing to a group of people that were thinking that had a certain way of looking at life. You know, me, me and you, we are living in a specific context. 
some of the conversations that are surrounding us today are conversations that were not necessarily as much bigger 15 years ago as they are today. So we're living in a certain context. So John was writing to a group of people that lived in a certain context, and he was presenting Jesus as the Messiah, not only for Israel, but for the whole world. In John 3.16, he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's almost like that verse summarizes what John believes about Christ. That if the whole world will believe in him, the whole world will have everlasting life. You will see that Jesus in John 17, he almost quotes that place where he says, I pray that they may know you. And he said the everlasting life is that they may know you and the one you sent. So you see that emphasis on Jesus being the Messiah to the world. Let's go perhaps to the next slide. Uh, last week when I was speaking, I spoke about the plots that was made against Jesus, the anointment, the betrayal of Judah, the Passover. So I will start today from the Passover where we had the, the Last Supper. There is an emphasis that we found in John's Gospel that we don't see in Matthew 26 that I'm going to touch on, which is the washing of the feet. So we'll find that in the, in the next slide, the foot washing. I know sometimes this thing can be weird. One day I went to a small group that Tenashi was facilitating. And uh, when I got there, I, went to, I, I wanted to do the feet washing. And now there was uh, some visitors there. And it freaked them out big time. That was quite crazy and wild. I was a wild man back then. <laughs> I'm still not. I, I don't think I'm wild now. Do you think I'm wild, Nyasha? A little bit. Woo! No worries. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. So in John 13, the Bible says, Now before the feast of the Passover, by the way, the Passover was established when the Israelites were about to come out of, um, of Egypt. Pharaoh was resisting, and the Lord said to Moses uh, to ask all the Israelites to, to put um, on, on the doorpost a sign of the blood, and he said, I will pass over. It was during that time, there was, that was the last plague that caused Pharaoh to decide to, to let the people go. So now, it is, it is a, it's a, one of the biggest celebrations uh, in the Jewish culture. And in those times, in the days of Jesus, when they came to accuse him last time, remember when, 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 we, when I was speaking in Matthew 26, they avoided to arrest him that time because they knew Jesus was popular and they were afraid that chaos could have taken place. Now, in this particular context, one of the things that Jesus was about to do um, while, he was doing the, the, while they were celebrating and they were, were going to have the Last Supper, he washed the feet of his disciples. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world up to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Next slide. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to, the, to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it uh, around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What is interesting is that all of you know that Judas was the guy that betrayed him. That was going to betray him. This was before the betrayal. And Jesus actually spoke about it even though the disciples freaked out. They didn't know who was it. 
Now, think of, think of yourself. Now, washing the feet was basically a duty that was given to slaves. And most often, it was done whenever people arrived. Whenever the master arrived before he would go for a supper or whatever it is. So that didn't happen necessarily in the... It didn't generally happen while people were already sitting on a table. It happened when people um, arrived, when the master's feet was... Remember in those days, they didn't have like proper shoes, very dusty. Thinking of that place, well, you know, there is a lot of wood. I'm pretty sure that their feet were stinking big time. <laughs> but then it was a duty of slaves, you know. And Jesus in that moment, he... He was a king. He was the leader. But in that moment, he chose to humble himself to serve these men. If you look at the profile of all of these men, Peter, fishermen, all of these people, they were like what you would call today like low class. He recruited them. Now think of the day. Like Jesus wanted to change the world. In the ideal world, Jesus could have gone to Rome and tried to pursue the most influential people convert them, and then use them to expand his kingdom. But Jesus decided to go in this little tiny country, chose some random people, called them, discipled them for three years, and he didn't even have to go to another country. And he just believed that these guys were enough to expand his kingdom. Now, after the whole journey of dealing with these guys, one of them betrayed him. And Jesus knew that this guy was going to betray him. But why did he even warn them that the betrayal was going to happen? There is a reason why Jesus even said it before that happened. Even the betrayal, even the denial of Peter, Jesus announced it. Now, even though that Jesus knew that Judas, Judah was going to betray him, Jesus still washed his feet. Even though he knew, because Jesus wasn't just a man, he was God. Even though he knew that the guy was going to betray him, washed his feet. Even though he knew that Peter was going to betray him, washed his feet. What can we do, Tenashe, if you know that I'm going to betray you? Okay? If you know that I'm going to take you for an Uber, and the reason I'm taking you to Belleville is because I'm wanting you to be taken by some random people. Alright? Will you wash my feet? Will you? Will you? If, if, it, if it was me back then, you know what I would have done? This guy. I will give you a political reason. For now, I think uh, you need the break. <laughs> I, think, I think you need to go on sabbatical. Because I don't see you running this ministry again. I see you as a threat. Exclude you. This is what we do. But that's the power of the wisdom of God. Like we see in Christ, the consistency of his character through the different things that he was going, to, that he was going through. This is one of the significant moments that Jesus was having with his disciples. Now I'm not too sure if Judas was fully aware. Because in that moment... After the supper, in the other text, you will see that it's only during the supper that there was a demon that entered into Judas. And then afterwards, he went and, and accused him. But it's just interesting that Jesus, even though he knew that he was going to be betrayed, he still loved the, per the 
shepherd Judas in the same very way. He still loved Peter in the same very way. He still honored who he was, even though um, the guy was going to betray him. And that's very interesting. What do we do with the people that we know don't love us? And some people, they will never love us until we die. <laughs> That's the reality. Some people, unfortunately, they will never love us. As much as we will expect them to love us, they won't necessarily. They might tolerate us, but not necessarily love us. Or they might love us, but they will never trust us. Anyways, we can't claim trust. But that's the reality of life. That's the complexity of life. But Jesus had to deal with this reality. But what is interesting is the consistency of his love. The consistency of loving in the same way. Let's go to the next slide. And then, if I then, this is now Peter, and this is Jesus saying, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Powerful. There was a place from which Christ set a standard of his ministry. His ethics were rooted in the values of the kingdom. His ethics, his approach, his lifestyle, the style of his leadership was rooted in what he believed is the, is the kingdom of God. What he believed, um, it was basically rooted in who he was. He was God. He was the son of God. And he, there is no way that could have happened if he didn't have the heart of God. Let's go to the next uh, moments. This is now Jesus in Gethsemane. And this is now one of the interesting moments Jesus this is having. This is another moment. Je the scripture says in Matthew 26, saying, this is Matthew 26 because John is not necessarily speaking about Gethsemane um, as much as it's detailed in this, in this verse. Saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became and his sweat became like a great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The next verse. Yeah, I'm not actually going to continue there. You actually see that when that happened, his disciples were there. What happened is Jesus, in one of his last moments, Jesus started experiencing kind of emotional trauma. He was going through a difficult moment because this crucifixion was coming so closer. And remember last week I already he said to God, if it is possible, would you please take this cup away? What happened is Jesus in that moment, he brought his feelings to God. He didn't come and try to sound something that he wasn't. Sometimes when we pray, we pretend. We have a political prayer. Sometimes we have a biblical prayer. But we, we don't pray from, the, from our hearts. We say, God, in the mo right now, I'm struggling with lust. If you don't get out of me, 
I will go and sleep around. If you don't take hold of me, I will go and I will abuse because that person has irritated me. If you don't take hold of me, I'm going to go and I'm going to mess up. Jesus in that moment, he suffered and he brought this. And his disciples, they saw his suffering. It speaks about Christ's vulnerability before God and even before his disciples. The challenge today is that sometimes we, the leaders, people think we are angels. Sometimes people think we are angels. There is not an angel here with wings. We are all human beings. We have feelings. That's why in the morning, if you come here in the morning, you will see how hungry I am for breakfast. I'm not an angel. Bandla, as much as I preach, I'm not an angel. I also get hungry. I get angry as well. I get offended. And all of that happens. But what do I do with it? I have to bring it to God. And say, God, this is my space. This is, that's the kind of lifestyle Jesus had. And he suffered in his flesh. I'm, I love the faith movement. I love the declaration like, this is I'm blessed. I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Great. Okay? I love that. I love that. There's no problem. But faith doesn't mean deny your reality. Denying your reality is stupidity. When Jesus came to the blind man, he asked the guy, what do you want? Jesus had word of knowledge. Many times he met people, he knew already what they wanted. But Jesus still celebrated the fact that the guy needed to verbalize what he wanted. That's the wisdom of the kingdom of God. That's the kind of savior we, we, we are serving. Remember wisdom, like I said, wisdom was used for the first time in, 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 in Exodus in the context of building. And remember, in, in Proverbs, the scripture says uh, that uh, the wise woman builds a house and the foolish one destroys it. Paul says, like a wise builder, I've laid the foundation. So walking in wisdom is being intentional about building. You may be going through suffering, but is your action building? Does your actions and your word correspond to the process of God, God's building? You see, one of the things that causes us to move away from walking in wisdom is distraction. Things that comes on the way and suddenly we start getting distracted. Even in this moment, you will see that the pain became so real to Christ that he was basically saying, God, this thing, can you take it away? And he didn't say it one time. If Jesus did it, then Matthew, who, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Sometimes we think we can't suffer. Because I'm born again. I'm going from glory to glory. Great. The glory is on me. Even if you are called by God. Let me tell you. You're going to have your own Judases. Some people, they will never believe in you. you can, and that's why don't try to convince people of something that they will not be convinced you are. Don't try to act to get credits. Like, let me try to do this. Tick. They will tick a box. And then, these people in my small group, they will believe now that I'm called by God. Some people, they will never tick any of the box. 
Some people never did it for Jesus. So relax. Let relax. And they will be, Jesus said, I did not, to the Father in his prayer in John, I did not lose any of those that you gave me. There are people that fought against Jesus from his, the beginning of his ministry until the end. Some people even think, thought he was casting out demons by demons, visible. So don't be afraid to be criticized. What I'm saying is be authentic before God. Be authentic. Don't take someone's prayer and make it your prayer. No. Come to God and say, God, here I am. I'm a liar. I'm an hypocrite. When I come to church, I'm an actor. I try to be polite, but I know when my mom shouts, I shout back. When my dad shouts, I shout back. There is no difference between the way I, I argue with my classmate and the way I argue with my dad. And that's who, that's who I am at the moment. But I don't want to be like that. These are things we should bring to God. Don't put, to put some kind of act, because when you pray, God looks at your heart. And he's like, when are we going to talk? When are we going to talk? Because when Jesus prayed, we go back to the, that previous verse. The Bible says, and there appeared to him an angel, of, an angel from heaven, strengthening him. There appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. Can you see how his prayer wasn't just a suffering prayer, but it, he was really engaging with God. He took his body, his flesh, his suffering, his sorrow. He brought it to God. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're stressing. Maybe you've been offended by something for a long time. Don't sit with it. Maybe I've offended you in some of the things I've said. Whether in sermons, whether in some things. Yes. The way we were created, we get offended. But don't sit with these things. They will poison you. Bring it before God. Sometimes, go to the person and speak to the person. And say, Matthew, I don't like you. I don't like what you said. I don't like what you do. I love you, but I don't like you. I don't like what you say. I don't like your leadership because I get offended by what you do. In a good way, from a healthy place. Or maybe write the letter to the person and say, you know what? That day, when we were having a conversation, I didn't like what you did. You know, I was so blessed one day, Francia was sharing with all the men in the church, students, and he said, he shared his story, he wrote a letter to his dad based on his experience with his dad. Maybe some of the things that, were, that wasn't pleasing to him, he wrote it on a letter. It was a way to bring his heart in that moment on that letter. The problem today is that we see a lot of Christians that are carrying many baggages in with them. Now they're there, they're there, they're there, and the next thing, something happens. You don't realize that actually what that reaction is connected to the other thing. Now you think it's a demon. There's no demon. The problem is that you are facilitating the demonic. Or perhaps you act yourself as a demon. And that's a problem because we destroy in that moment. So we need to constantly bring 
our feelings before God. Constantly bring our feelings. If you are going through, you're going low, maybe you're struggling, exam, you, you wrote an exam and you're afraid. Now, when everyone asks you, how was it? Oh, it was great. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was amazing. Hallelujah. Now, your pe- people in your small group, they're asking you, how was this? You know you failed. Now, people in your small group are asking you, oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Hypocrite. Hypocrisy. 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 Should I, I'm, am I saying we should always tell people everything? No. Because you should never tell everything to everyone because not everyone has the wisdom to handle what you're saying. Because they may use that to destroy you. So part of wisdom is secrecy. Jesus had this moment with his disciples. He didn't have this moment with the Pharisees. So make sure that you're dealing with the disciples. Okay. In other words, be careful with who you're spending time with because they can destroy you. The Bible doesn't say when you have bad companies, stay there and intercede. You know what, you know what it says? What does it say? I like it in French. It says flee. Flee. Flee, my friend. If you have five friends, closer friends, all they talk about is sex. Right? What, would, what do you laugh when I say sex? Well, Tenashe, why do you laugh? <laughs> okay, well, if you are surrounded with friends that are always talking about sex, how the sex happened last night, how it happened at the pub, how it happened that guy kissed them, how the guy did how this. If you are in an environment where people are talking like that, I stayed with a guy like that before. I rented on the flat. There was a guy, and this guy, Congolese guy, he was always talking about his cousin, how he slept with two women. He was always talking about it, talking about it. He was an housemate. Now, I was much younger back then when I, was, when I came to South Africa. And what I realized is, at some point, I started having a tendency when I met my close friends, I would tell them what that guy often says. Not because I was, in, I was loving those conversations, but I was influenced. We can be influenced even if you pray, you are anointed to the feet. You can still be influenced. If you spend time watching movies where people are sleeping all the time, what do you think is going to be in your head? Do you think you're going to think about mighty warrior? <laughs> no. The same very action will be in your head. In other words, be wise. Are you building or are you destroying your mind? Bible says, let the things that are holy and worthy, all of these things, be part of your thoughts. So Jesus in this moment, he brought it to the Lord. Even when generally you're interested in a girl, brother, you can also bring it to the Lord. Say, God, is this lust or is this love? Because I'm confused. When I see this person, I'm distracted. Okay? Not in a bad way, but I'm attracted. God, is this my feelings? Is this my feelings are not bad? Amen? Being attracted is not a bad thing. It's not a sin. Okay? You can be attracted to a girl while you're playing Pekashi Nyasha. You're like, okay. (laughs) 
Surely the Lord is here. <laughs> He's changed while you're sitting. Then <laughs> you're like, Surely the Lord is here. He's changing now. It is natural. You can also be you can also be a girl in the church, spirit filled, you speak in tongues, but suddenly there is a brother that walks in. And suddenly you you lost. Now you're like, okay, okay, Jesus. Amen. Now I don't know if I should speak in tongues. It is natural. There's nothing wrong with it. The problem is, the challenge is, what are you doing about it? Do you now go and start stalking on the girl on Facebook? Okay? Now you start stalking and you start downloading her pictures? That is behaviors of the other kingdom. Be careful. So if you're interested in someone, you can go for it. There's nothing wrong. But make sure you know what you want. Make sure you, in, in your heart there, you know that in this moment, I, as much as you see me speaking, in the, speaking here in front of you, I have also been in a situation where I'm, I'm at a shop and I see someone I'm attracted. Someone that I've never seen. And I want to go and talk to the person. Maybe the person goes, how to? On the, I go too. The, and then, but... but by the time, <laughs> by the time they go, they go to the fruit and veg. You know him as well. <laughs> by the fruit and veg, and at some point they go to where there is soap and homo, and then I pretend to go there while I know I'm only going there to buy a time. <laughs> Does it mean? Does it mean? <laughs> Do you think in that moment? I'm not a pastor anymore. I'm st I still am. I still am. Does it mean in that moment I'm not spirit-filled? I am still am. But my flesh is alive. My soul is alive. And that is not a sin. The problem comes in is what are you thinking about? When you look at that person, now suddenly this person becomes your sexual object. Ah. That is where you start having conversation with Christ. Where Christ says to you, you know, even if you start just thinking in your head there, mm, but at the root of it is unbelief. Because in that moment, you feel entitled to engage with the whole thing without engaging God. You remove Christ in the picture. You see, the problem isn't just last, what, you, what is coming out. The problem is, is Christ in the picture in that moment? At the root of sin is unbelief. That's why if you tell people, don't watch the movie, don't watch movies, you're wasting your time. Don't tell people, don't sleep around, don't sleep around, don't sleep around. You're wasting your time. They know they don't have to sleep around. If you tell people, don't go on Facebook, don't go to the cinema, don't go and do and Game of Thrones and all of that, wastage of time. Present Christ. Because when they see Christ, they will see a man that brought his feelings before God. And they will have the boldness and the freedom to say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm actually in love with this person. And I don't know if I'm in love. I don't know if I'm lasting. 
but I'm attracted. But help me, because I can't do it. It's like this thing at church. Can you take it away from me? This cup of church thing. I'm a small group leader. Can we take it away? And in that moment, sometimes you may pray. The heaven is silent. But keep praying. Keep praying. When Jesus prayed, there was no answer. The first one. Second time, there was no answer. And at some point he said, not my will, but your will. When he brought God in the picture, there was an angelic being that came and intervened. Very important. I want you to be bold enough to come before God and speak to him about where you are at. Don't have this church prayer. Oh God, you're amazing. You, you are so good. I'm so and we are beholding your glory like in a mirror. We are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. Since if someone is in Christ, all things have passed away. You know, all, okay, great. If that was Paul's prayer, what is your prayer? What is your prayer in your own context? What is your prayer? Hmm? My friend, that's the thing, eh? Bokang, don't go to God as if you were Moses. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Do you know why he asked him? You don't even know the context of why Moses said to God, show me your glory. Now you write the song, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And you start singing. And you don't understand why the guy was asking God about it. And that was real to him. You see, if you have to worship God in truth, you have to be true while you engage with him. Next slide. And he says, all this I've told you so that you may not fall away. You will find this expression in a lot of texts in, in John. Especially when he was warning, he was telling them about the things to come. Either his suffering, either his, his, his betrayal. He prepared them. One of the wisdom lessons we learn in Christ is the whole practice of planning and preparation. You see, even if you are gifted, if opportunity finds you and you prepared, you will fail. There's a lot of people who say, I'm jobless. I don't have a job. Okay, great. What do you want? Okay, I want to work in the IT department. Now Johannes comes and says, well, listen, there is, a, there is an opportunity at our company. Come and work. Now suddenly, you've never learned how to move your mouse. Okay? You don't even know where file is. Even though you have great visions and ambitions, but it will find you unprepared. Therefore, you're not going to jump in. Some of you, you know that God has called you, but how serious are you committed to your growth? God has called you to ministry. How serious are you about your commitment to growth, personal growth, in the thing that God has called you? Preparation. But now Jesus says, all I've told you is that you may not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a sacrifice to God. Sure. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their times comes, you will remember that I warned you about them and I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. 
Jesus is telling them that, listen, there is me, my kingdom, I've spoken to you. You have the Pharisee, you have the Sadducees, the political leaders, you have all of the scribes, all of these people. They've got a way of thinking. Some of them, while they're messing with you, they're thinking they're doing the will of God. They might think they're doing the will of God. He's warning them, but I'm telling you this so that your faith may not fall away. You see that while he was with his disciples, Christ was so committed to their consistency in faith. Christ thought about, what about next? What if I'm there? What if I'm not there? What will happen to them? You see, the journey of God isn't just about the now. Do you know the consequences of what you are doing now? Of what you're doing with the people you, you live with? Whether in your small group, whether that's your family, whether the friends that you have. Some of the friends that you have, you will only see them for the next two years. And then after varsity, they might go to some country, you'll never see them. But what are you doing with them? That's the wisdom we see in Christ. Christ prepared them. He warned them. He was preparing them so that they may remain in faith. And what is interesting is in this gospel, you see Christ speaking about the Father. And you will often see Christ as well speaking about the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He said, I will not leave you as often. I will send you the comforter, the helper. He brought the balance, the picture, the full picture of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He said, it's actually good for you that I may go. That the helper may come. You see that consistency of the full picture of who God is. Because at the end of the day, these guys had to believe. They had to live by faith. That's all they had to remain with in the circumstances of suffering. Now, when we suffer in this world in which we live in, where do we go and hold on to? Is it to ideologies and theories? Because there is a lot of ism today. All kind of ism. And many of us are signing into a lot of ism. Do we really think Christ is enough? Is Christ enough for us? Or do we need more than Christ? Let's go to the next slide. Jesus makes a promise of the Holy Spirit. I tell you. It is to advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see Christ promising his presence, his presence, his presence. The presence of God. The presence of God. He was there. The Holy Spirit will be with them. The Father loved them. He was constantly, constantly, constantly just emphasizing on the fact that God is with them. But life will not be easy. The circumstances will not be easy, but God was with them. You know, it's one thing to say, God is with me. God is with me. But do you know that God is literally with you? It changes everything when you know, when you truly know that God is actually with you there. When you truly, 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 truly know that God is with you. I'm going to tell you a story that I've never told anyone. When I came to South Africa, the visa that I, I was given had a problem. When I got to the immigration, they picked up that the, there was a problem with the visa I was using. And 
it was a, it was a terrible thing. There were three people. It was me and another, two other people. And these other people, they freaked out. They freaked out, took our bags and everything. Now, we had to explain. You know, they often complicate a lot of... Back then, our passport in DRC wasn't a digital passport. It was still normal passport where they had just a normal picture. That's why they often, they would argue with you, how did you get visa? Even though they knew <laughs> you, you got it. And I remember, while we were having this complication, I heard a voice that said to me, Matthew, just in this moment, move out of here, just stand in the middle of the immigration, I just stood there. And then the voice said, just go to the toilet. I went to the toilet. And then after 30 minutes, I heard the voice come out. When I came out, I found the people that were arrested. Okay, those guys that were with me. They, they sent them back. Now I was there. I was much younger. No English. And I stood there. Suddenly, two people appeared. Two random people. Congolese people. And one of them spoke English fluently. And I explained to him the situation. He said, well, this is what's happening. Um, can you go and speak to the immigration person? Because sometimes those cases happened. And then the person went. I spoke to the lady in a split of seconds. I said, you guys come in. They sorted out our visa and we came in. I, like, I was clueless. Listen, I was 21 years old when I came in. And I just turned 21 when I came. 10 days after I turned 21. But in that moment, when I couldn't make any formula, I didn't cry. Sorry. I could have cried as well. But I didn't. Like, for some reason, I think I'm like, why didn't I panic? Like, big panic. For some reason, I was kind of chill, but I just heard the voice. And everything was sorted. Because God was there with me. And it was amazing to see. I took a bus. And as I was on bus, it was like there was a man sitting next to me that started dictating me a song. Literally, I took my diary and I started writing. The person continued speaking, 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 speaking throughout my journey. Like, you speaking? I heard him speak like that. The presence of God was on me big time. Like, it was like I was shaking on the bus. When I got to Johannesburg, I called my brother. I told him I'm in Johannesburg. He was shocked. Like, how did you do it? I don't know. As crazy as I am, I started even trying to explore the place. I even got lost at some point. <laughs> so, what I'm saying is, guys, God is real. We, me and my friend, or my housemate, we went, we're going to Johannesburg. For some reason, he had to visit some random people. We got lost. We got on a bush. And we didn't know how, where we, did we get in, and how we're going to come out. It was at night. We were traveling to Johannesburg in 2007. And we didn't know what to do. It was terrible. Like, I didn't know how to direct him. We didn't even have a GPS. It was terrible. Now, we got stuck on, in a bush where we, we sat on the car for like 30 minutes. For some reason, I can't remember of hearing the sound of the car. There was suddenly a car that came. There was a white guy driving. He said, um, hey, guys, you guys can go this way if you want to come out. I don't know where he came from. We just took a turn. Suddenly, we went on the N1 again. I, I, until today, I don't know how that happened. 
because God is real. Because God still wanted me to stand in front of you. He kept me safe. Even when I was clueless. That's how God is. That's how real God is. But do you know him? Do you know his praises? Do you know that even when you were born, God didn't keep you alive because he didn't have another option. God kept you alive because he had a plan. He had a plan. Whether you comprehend it or not, he has a plan. He had a plan. He said to Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. While you were not even there, while you couldn't even speak, you didn't even have the vocabulary, you didn't know any of the ism. I knew you. I knew you. But am I enough? Is he enough? Next, next slide. He said, do you know now, believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming, and in fact has come when you will be scattered. Each of your own home, you will leave me all alone. Yet, I am not alone. For my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, Christ was saying, if you read in, in John, Jesus says, I'm the tree, and you the branches. He speaks about abiding in him in the two chapters before this. Basically, Jesus was saying, you may find yourself in the whole world troubled and scattered, but your peace will be rooted in your fellowship with me. This is what Jesus was doing. It was a discipleship moment. It was a teaching moment, but it was also a comforting moment. Now remember these guys, they spent three years following this guy to build their career. Now suddenly this guy was about to die. Basically, they didn't know what to do. Some of them went even to fish, to, for, for fishing again. Like, oh, this guy, we followed him. We saw the miracles and we thought we were going to become something. Suddenly this guy is dying. What are we doing? Jesus used his very last moment to build into their faith. So that they can consistently have the faith in God. But also find the peace. The true peace. Peace doesn't mean you're not going to feel anything. No. He would just believe that God is still in the picture. Even if I'm in the storms, Christ is still in the boat. You see, the problem is that we promise sometimes in church when we preach, we tell you that everything is going to be amazing. Oh, I see a tree. And in this tree that I'm seeing, I'm seeing flowers coming all over. And I'm seeing, and I'm seeing people coming. You're going to become this thing. You're going to do this thing. And now you have a romantic picture about your life. Okay? I'm not saying we should speak more about the pain. All I'm saying is it's going to be challenging. It might be challenging, but have faith in God. Have faith in God. Christ was building into this man, these men. He was building into their faith. Because it wasn't going to be easy. You will see later Peter got arrested. Do you know this guy? No. I never knew him. Did you know? No, I never knew him. Now imagine how, how Peter felt after Jesus being crucified and he knew he betrayed him. How do you think Peter handled that? How do you live when you know you've offended someone? Intentionally or unintentionally? It's not easy when you know that someone is weeping because of you. But how do you learn to forgive yourself as well? Some people, they never forgive themselves. They can always remind you of the sin they made in 1998. They're still repenting about it. Or the sin you made last year when you came to UCT, you're still repenting on it. Learn to forgive yourself. 
Jesus was building into these guys. Uh, let's go to the next slide. And which I love. He says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You see, there is a whole lot of ways people come to God today. Some people come to God as revolutionaries. Okay? We look at the society. Oh, they're not given opportunities for people of my category. Oh, there is a lot of men in this company. There is no lot of women. Oh, there is no a lot of men in this company. There's a lot of women. Oh, there is a lot of pink people here. There is not a lot of yellow people here. Now, when we come to God, we come in any of the terms. We come as either feminist or uh, masculinist. Or <laughs> uh, we come as political. Or you come as EFF. You come as DA. We come as, you know, whatever it is. Now we bring and we, we want Christ to say, yes, I'm feminist too. And I'm also mas masculinist too. You want Christ to say, no, I am actually EFF too. And we're imposing that narrative on Christ. When we pray, we want to hear him saying that. You know, the disciples, they could have come and said, Jesus, we are the one that are mistreated because we followed you. We are the one oppressed. They are the Pharisees. They are the Sadducees. They are all of these things. Jesus didn't allow any one of them to come in their own names. He gave them one venue to come to the Father in his name. He said, until now, you haven't prayed in my name. Not even the name of your pain. Come in my name. Come in my name. That's the way. The Bible says, the name of the Lord is a mighty tower where the righteous found their refuge. The name of Jesus. In other words, when you, when you speak of his name, it's like you, because Jesus is the one that represents forgiveness. When Jesus was dying, he had you, brother, in his mind. So when you pray, your sins are forgiven, not just because of how long you pray, but because of what Jesus did. He was the ultimate sacrifice. That's why I wrote that song, Let us go to the mountain of the Lord. To worship the ultimate sacrifice. And we won't ask where is the sacrifice. Because Jesus said it is finished here in this place. We give the highest praises on this mountain of the Lord. We'll give the, not on your mountain. Not on the mountain of EFF, not on the mountain of feminism, not on the mountain of anything. On his mountain. These are things that we need to bring before him. We need to constantly come before him and say, God, this is how I want to speak to you. He said, great. Speak about it. But salvation is in my name. The name of the Lord. Can we stand? Can we stand?
I would like to, some of you are going home already this week. But I want to challenge you, even as you go home. What is your plans? What are you planning to do as you go home? If you don't have a plan, people will make plans for you. Or you will fall into other people's plans. My dad once said, if you don't keep yourself busy with God, there is a whole lot of chances that the devil will keep you busy too. David, when he had to act as a king, he was walking. And suddenly he saw a woman started lasting after this woman. Instead of acting as a king to protect the people, he acted as a, as a lustful man. Even when he started putting agendas to kill the husband of the woman, he still felt nothing because he was focused on himself. I want to challenge you. How are you, what are you going to do as you go home? But don't go home with the, what you know is not healthy at the moment for you. I would like us to bring our hearts before God. Bring yourself as you are. Bring everything before him. Because he's already made it easy. Come in his name. Come in his name. Salvation is in the name of the Lord. Your deliverance is in the name of the Lord. Bring your emotions before him. If you know where you are, that you need to bring yourself, your feeling, your thing, like Jesus gets it, God was in Gethsemane, and you need to bring yourself before him. I would like to ask you to just come forward. No one is going to pray for you. No one is going to pray for anyone. Everyone will pray for themselves before God. If you know that you need to do what Jesus did in Gethsemane, then I would like to ask you to please come to the front in humility before God and have a real conversation with him. Even if it means kneeling before him, feel free. There is no shame here. There is no guilt here. There is no condemnation here. There is freedom. I would like you, do not allow anything to control you. Do not allow anything to hinder you from stepping. From stepping between what God is doing in this moment. If you know that there are conversations that you still need to bring before God, I want to encourage you to come and bring it before Him. While Armand will be singing, I would like you ask you to take the freedom and say, God, here I am. Bring yourself before him. Even if you, if you know that going home is like going to war, bring it before God. Say, God, I know people fight there. Everybody's violent. Everybody's doing this. It's uncomfortable. Being in my home, still home, but I still feel like I'm a foreigner in my, same, in my own home. But you can bring it to the Father. Say, God, this is how I feel about these things. And I need you. I need you. We need him. We need him. Just where you are, just start raising your voice and just speak to God. Just engage with the heart of God. Let's just bring ourselves before him. Oh, God. 
Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, we long to surrender. If you know there is anything that you need to surrender before him, surrender to him. Just bring it to him. Even if it's unforgiveness, bring it to him. Just as you are before your God. Even if it means to repent, repent before him. In his name, there is mercy. Now is the 